Today I want us to look at the transfiguration of Jesus as it's found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 17, verses 1 through 13, continuing this series, God's story, our story, our story of God's redemptive plan begins in the garden. It's fouled up by our first parents in Genesis chapter 3, rebelling against God, but quickly God comes to the rescue and promises to send a redeemer and the judges and the priests and the prophets and the kings point forward to that glorious day where we would be able to behold the face of God again. And it's in the New Testament that we read that God delivers on his promise that he sends the perfect prophet, priest, and king in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that's where we find ourselves yet again this morning as we continue to unfold and unpack the story of God's redemptive plan from Genesis to Revelation in the life of Jesus. What we're about to read in Matthew chapter 17 is one of the most profound events in not only all of the Bible, but to be found anywhere in ancient literature. It is something so profound that if we do not understand what happened at the transfiguration, we will never truly understand who Jesus is and what he came to do. Let's look together at Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 13. And after six days, let me just pause there. It's after six days of what? Six days, Jesus has told them, six days ago, Jesus has told them that he must go to Jerusalem to die and suffer. That is an important context this morning. It is after six days of revealing to his disciples that I must go to Jerusalem to die and to suffer. It is that, that is when this happens. Jesus took with him Peter and James, John and his brothers, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we're here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking with them when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased, listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them saying, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And they were coming down the mountain and Jesus commanded them, tell no one of the vision until the son of man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked, then why do the scribes say first Elijah must come? And he answered, Elijah does come and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So the son of man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. And on this Lord's day, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord, it stands forever. Amen. What happens when the glory comes? What happens when we behold him face to face? 
When we read of the glory of God throughout the Bible, it is referring to his majesty, his greatness, his beauty, his holiness. The glory of God is the revelation to his people of who he is. It's the revelation of his attributes. That is the glory of God. And from the very beginning, in the garden and from the moment they are banished from the garden, humanity has been seeking a path, a path forward of restoration to one day behold the glory of God yet again. It is the longing of every human soul to experience the glory and to behold him face to face. All throughout the scriptures, the the prophets pointed to this day where we would be able to encounter the glory of God yet again in all of its fullness and all of its grace. And it is here in this passage that we are surrounded by darkness It is in this passage that we are surrounded with the dark storyline that is unfolding, that Jesus has made it clear to his disciples that my hour is soon to come, the hour of suffering and death, and he's walking his disciples up this mountain, and you can sense the darkness that has fallen on his people that our Savior and our leader is about to get humiliated, to be turned over, and to experience a cruel death on the cross. But it is in that moment of darkness that through the transfiguration, he gives them a glimpse of light, a glimpse of glory, even if it's just for a moment, in the midst of the darkness, they have seen the light. What happens when the glory comes? You get what your heart ultimately longs for. Three things this passage teaches us concerning Jesus. Three things revealed to not only his disciples, but to us this morning as we understand the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. The first thing is that it reveals that Jesus is God. It is in the transfiguration that we finally see that Jesus is fully God. We have seen him veiled, the glory has been veiled, that we've seen Jesus, the human being, we have seen Jesus fully human, but it is on the Mount of Transfiguration that we see that Jesus truly is Emmanuel. He is God with us. The deity of God is revealed. We see that Jesus is the visible expression of the invisible God. But this scene is familiar, isn't it? If remember the story of the Bible in Exodus chapter 33, the people of God have escaped slavery, they've escaped the Egyptians, and they're in the wilderness led by Moses. And we find a similar setting. They're on top of the mountain, and God desires to establish relationship with his people And Moses encounters the glory of God. And Moses cries out to God on top of a mountain and says, I want to see your face. And what does God say to Moses? You can't, for you will surely die. But Moses, I will hide you in the cleft of the rock and allow my glory to pass over you. And it's only when my glory is beyond you that you will be able to open your eyes and see the back of me. 
But even when he sees the back of the glory of God, his face still becomes so radiant that it is glowing, glowing as a reflection of the glory of God as he comes down that mountain. But what's different about this setting? We have the mountain, we have the glory cloud of God, but here is Jesus no longer simply a prophet reflecting the glory of God, but it is God himself in the flesh revealing his glory to his people. Jesus is no longer pointing to the glory. Jesus is the glory of God in the flesh, manifested in the flesh, in the life of Jesus Christ. It is the announcement to the disciples in the world. No longer will we have types and figures and men reflecting the glory of God, but we have now the glory of God himself in the person of Jesus Christ It is the great announcement to the world that Emmanuel has arrived, that the glory that we've been longing for as the people of God for centuries, the glory of God that we had been separated from since Genesis chapter 3 has now come in the flesh, in the person of Jesus Christ. The transfiguration of Jesus on the mountain in verses 2 and 3 reveals that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is God that Jesus is the one that we've longed for. He comes in glory. The visible expression of the invisible God is here. But the second thing that transfiguration reveals is not only that Jesus is God, but it reveals that intimacy has now been restored. Look at verse four. Peter asked Jesus, after seeing Moses and Elijah on the mountain, after seeing you in your glory, Jesus, transfigured, your clothes beaming, you're radiating the glory of God, he rightfully asked the question, shall I build a tent for you and for Moses and Elijah? Now, was it because the elements were starting to arrive? Was it because it was starting to rain? We need to protect the the patriarchs and Jesus? No, the word tent means tabernacle. What is a tabernacle? It was what the people of God used to contain the glory of God. It was first a tabernacle and then a temple in the scriptures containing the holiness and the glory of God in the most holy place. Why? Because the one thing we understand from scripture is that God is holy and we are not. And going back to Genesis 3, The sin has entered the world and our sinfulness and our fallenness has separated us. There is an infinite gap between a holy God and an unholy, unrighteous humanity. And Peter rightfully asks, shall I not build something to contain the glory and the holiness of God? For surely if we look upon your glory, Jesus, we will be destroyed Now, some of you say this, I don't like that God. I don't want to believe in a God. That offends me when I hear you preach about a God that would destroy us. That offends me to hear about a God that would strike us down because of our sinfulness. I don't believe that is not my God. And I say, you're absolutely right, because you would never create a God in your image that does that. But I'm not interested in the God that you want, 
I'm not interested in the God that you have created in your image. We're interested in the God who is. And the God who is, the God of the Old and New Testament, says there is an infinite gap between us and him. And look what happens in verses 6, 7, and 8 in light of this. Peter and the disciples rightfully fall to their face in fear, but only to open their eyes. And listen to me, this is one of the most profound events in all of Scripture because they should have been goners. But instead, they open their eyes and it says Jesus in his grace touches them and says, do not be afraid. One of the most profound events in all of scripture that humanity could encounter and behold the very face of God. They could encounter the glory and the holiness of God and instead of them being destroyed, they are loved and redeemed and restored You see, the message of Jesus in the transfiguration is that the intimacy that was lost in the garden has now been restored between God and his humanity. And this precisely is the good news of Jesus Christ. This is the message of the gospel that Jesus Christ in his humanity and on the cross veils his humanity and loses the glory and the favor of God. And by faith, we receive the glory and the favor of the Father. Jesus takes our unrighteousness and exchanges it for his righteousness that God looks upon us by faith alone and the way he looks upon us is the way that he looks upon his son and the good news for us this morning for those that are found in Christ. He looks at us and he says, you are my beloved with whom I'm well pleased. The transfiguration of Jesus Christ declares to the disciples and declares to us this morning the good news of the kingdom of heaven, that intimacy that was lost is now forever restored. So it is the transfiguration that reveals to us that Jesus is God. It reveals to us that intimacy has been restored. And lastly, the transfiguration of Jesus reveals that a response is required. N.T. Wright said it best in light of this passage. If it is true that the hurricane has become flesh, if it is true that the fiery pillar has come as a human being, then we must reckon with this Jesus. As I've said before, if Jesus is truly God in the flesh, there is no room for neutrality. There is no room for apathy. We must reckon with the reality that Jesus is God, that Jesus has come in the flesh, and it begs us this morning to offer a response. And let me give you two practical responses this morning. The first is this, if Jesus is Lord, and if it is true, that he has come in the flesh, you must obey. You must obey. If Jesus revealed is really the glory of God made flesh, he can no longer just be tolerated. It's something that you just sing about and read about. He's somebody that just kind of exists on the exterior of my life. If Jesus is Lord, you must obey. Look at what God says. The glory cloud comes down, and in verse 5, what does he say to the disciples? 
This is my son. Listen to him. That word listen in the Greek does not simply mean listening with your ears. It is the word for listening with your entire being. It means every area of your life surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ. If Jesus is Lord, it means that he reserves the right to come into your life and mess with it. And that you are the clay and he is the potter. And therefore you declare, have thine own way, O Lord. No questions asked. Listen to me. The cancel culture and the modern social justice movement that is even creeping into our churches, begging us to water down the message of truth and the message of the gospel is merely the latest example of the serpent in the garden saying to our first parents, did God really say that? And we must reject it at all cost. God has spoken in his word, and if Jesus is Lord, we obey Second response, you trust. You trust with utter hopefulness. You trust. Look what happens in verse 9. They're coming down the mountain and they enter into a theological conversation. They're beginning to understand what is about to happen. Darkness has covered, is beginning to cover their lives and beginning to cover their ministries. They understand that if Jesus goes to Jerusalem to die, then we will quickly follow suit. And they ask the question, they say, but I thought all of this would not happen until Elijah came. And Jesus says, Elijah has come. And they put him to death. And therefore, I must be put to death as well, or I will be put to death. And it says in the passage that they quickly understood that the Elijah that was to come was John the Baptist. And now they understand this is the time. This is the time for the departure. But do you see what Jesus does in his infinite kindness? He does not leave them in their darkness. He does not leave them in a state of fear. But the whole reason he brings them up to the Mount of Transfiguration is to give them in the midst of darkness, in the midst of fear, a glimmer of hope. You see, the Transfiguration was to allow his people to get a glimpse, and it was a quick glimpse, a glimpse of future glory, that in the midst of darkness and brokenness in this life and in this world, I want to give you, my people, a glimpse of what is to come. The transfiguration was for the people of God and for us this morning a glimmer of hope that you can trust this Jesus, that you can trust this God. Listen to me, I know there are some here today and some watching at home that all you look around your life, you look at your home and your relationships, you look at the status of our world and of our nation, and all you see is brokenness and darkness. And it is Jesus in his infinite kindness to us to give us glimmers of hope, glimpses of future glory, so that we can take that glimpse of glory on the Mount of Transfiguration and we can pull it into the present it is the only way that we could forever be sustained in this life. What else could ever sustain you? 
How in the world could we ever survive this dark and broken world if we did not have this glimpse of future glory? It is the only thing that allows us to trust with utter and complete hopefulness. I want to ask you this morning, do you have this hope? Really? Really? Do you have this hope? It is in the person of Jesus Christ alone that offers you this day this hope. He lost his glory and the favor of the Father and the punishment that we deserve fell on him so that we could live with hope both now and forever. I want to ask you, do you have this hope found only in the person of Jesus Christ? This matters. Do not leave here this morning without understanding how much this matters because here is the truth this morning. One day, you and I will stand before God. I don't care what you believe. I don't care what worldview you hold to. You will stand before God. That is not a question. The only question is what will the result be? Will you be able to stand before the glory of God and him say to you, you are my beloved child with whom I am well pleased. If you know Jesus Christ this morning, this is our hope. To trust in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation. To trust in him as the only savior of sinners. As the trust in him as the only one by faith that we can be reconciled to the God that we've been estranged from. And experience glory both now and forever. Six years ago, 21 Egyptian Christians were asked to kneel on a beach in Libya with ISIS standing behind them and asked to denounce their faith in Jesus Christ. What do you think they did? One by one, they look up at their captors and they declare, Jesus is Lord. And one by one, they lost their lives. Why? Why in the world, when all they had to do was to denounce their faith and live, why in the world would they boldly declare that Jesus is Lord? Their eyes had seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. And when they opened their eyes, what did they see? Jesus. Only Jesus. They opened their eyes and they saw glory. It changed them and it will change you forever.